0: finance and leadership. FTI's Financial Services Podcast. FTI is a global advisory firm. We help organizations manage change, mitigate risk, and resolve disputes. I'm your host, Tilsia Toledo. I have over 25 years of experience in the financial services industry. This show is about the people I've met along the way and leading during uncertain times. You will hear from finance executives, law firm partners, dedicated government professionals, and many others. Today's episode is part of a series focused on the Ukraine. Our guest is Matt Bell, Senior Managing Director and Leader of Expert Controls, Sanctions and Trade at FTI Consulting. Matt specializes in international trade compliance, including expert controls, economic sanctions, anti-boycott, and related US regulations. Matt, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me. It's great to be here.
0: So, Matt, on March 8th, President Biden announced a U.S. ban on Russian oil, natural gas, and coal imports. Can you share with the audience what does this mean?
1: Well, I think a lot of the headlines really focused on the first part of that, which is the Russian oil and natural gas kind of ban on imports. Coal got less coverage. It's less of an issue on what we're importing in the United States. But it does prohibit the importation to the United States of crude oil, petroleum, petroleum fuels, oils, and other products of distillation, natural gas, coal, and coal products. So that's a broader range than what people initially think. And the key is it has to be Russian origin. Country of origin can change when you start to process oil into other items. So whether that's petrochemicals or whether it becomes a downstream product that goes into plastics and other things. So there will be this issue of when does it change origin? Is it still a Russian petroleum product and other things as people work uh, and look at their import compliance and the import ban. Additionally, that same executive order also prohibited new investment in the energy sector, which is not completely defined. A recent executive order actually expanded that to any sector of business as defined by Treasury and Commerce. So there are even further bans on the business in Russia. But that executive order also prohibited the approval financing and facilitation of these things. So I think that's key for banks and the financial sector. They're prohibited from financing these things. If a foreign person is trying to do it and a US person wouldn't be allowed to do it because of this ban, then they're not supposed to finance it. And so that's gonna be a key for the banks is looking at their financing restrictions on these new potential investments or the importation of prohibited products.
0: As we know, this is the latest item in a long list of global sanctions from Russia due to the war in the Ukraine. So in addition to the U.S. ban on Russian oil, natural gas and coal imports, we've also seen the U.S. blocking of the Russian Central Bank from accessing its U.S. currency reserves. We've also seen U.S. and other European nations blocking Russian banks from the SWIFT payment systems and some others. Given the number of actions that the U.S. has already taken so far, are there other sanctions tools that the U.S. may consider?
1: Yes, there are further tools they could consider. And as we were just speaking about import bans, there could be further import bans. And in fact, recently there were further import bans on Russian seafood and other items even today. So if you like your Russian caviar, uh, you might be out of luck for a while. They're discussing revoking what's called most favored nation status which would then allow the U.S. and other countries who take a similar action to increase tariff rates on any imports from Russia. Even if they're not banned, they would face a much higher import duty rate, uh, higher costs. So that's another escalation they can do. Of course, they can target more oligarchs. We haven't banned all of them. We haven't sanctioned all of them yet. There are other government officials that have not been sanctioned. There's been discussion of sanctioning kind of everyone in the Duma or the equivalent of the Russian Congress, who has voted for some of these retaliatory laws, so that could be an escalation point. They can also, of course, expand sanctions further to both private companies, further private industry, as well as state-owned companies. And the state-owned companies, there's some discussion that they may do that by actually blocking the Russian government, similar to what we see with the Venezuela sanctions, where the government of Venezuela has been blocked. The government of Venezuela owns Pedvesa, for example, which is the national oil company. Therefore, Pedvesa is blocked. And so you could have a similar effect in Russia if they blocked the Russian government. And then in effect, it would block all of the Russian state-owned enterprises, which are significant uh, businesses. An interesting one that's been discussed is actually blocking the Russian stock market or investment in Russian stocks. Uh, This is to prevent what some would view as profiteering from investors. As the stock market drops because of these sanctions and these restrictions, people could buy up the stock at pennies on the dollar or pennies on the ruble, whatever you want to call it. And then hold it until the market comes back, the economy comes back, the sanctions are lifted, and then hope to make a profit down the road. So there's been discussion of even limiting access to the Russian stock market. So I think those are a lot of the key areas. They could go as far as a full financial embargo, a full blocking what like we see on Iran. That seems like once you get that far, you don't really have much left to play in your hand. Um, so that would be kind of the very end of the of the road, I would think. The other thing they can do is actually focus more on enforcement and be very clear that they're going to do this. Corporations have already taken it further than the sanctions do. And so I think just the pulling out of business and kind of the corporate social responsibility and ESG messaging is actually already doing more than the sanctions do. And I think that will continue to grow as well.
0: I find the one about the stock market to be pretty interesting so uh, be very curious about that one. So as we talk about the things that have transpired so far, what are the immediate steps that financial institutions, oil and gas companies and other corporations uh, should be taking right now?
1: Well, I think most people understand their immediate direct exposure. I think for financial institutions, they're trying to figure out their indirect exposure, which is the same for other companies as well. It's not just what business do we do? In Russia, but what business do we do with parties who do business with Russia? And so there's kind of that secondary exposure. Are they financing transactions ultimately that lead to Russia that maybe they don't want to be a part of? For companies who are buying oil and gas products, how are they ensuring the origin? They may know they're not buying directly from Russia, but where are they buying it from and how do they trace the origin of that oil and gas, which is already an issue they need to understand because of the Iranian sanctions and Venezuela sanctions. So they should already have some of that in place, but they'll just need to be more cognizant of it with Russia now. For manufacturing companies, they're looking at, okay, I make a product, like we have a client who makes memory. Well, that memory goes into a lot of technology products and that may be sold on to Russia. So they're trying to understand What does their component go into that then may be sold to Russia, giving them kind of secondary exposure to the Russian market? So I think that's, that's a key thing. Many companies are winding down operations. And so trying to figure out how do you pull out of Russia is not easy. I've been a part of multiple companies who have had to wind down business in various jurisdictions. And there's a lot to think about from contractual obligations, HR obligations, insurance, banking, finance. There's just so many things that go into it. But people really need to think about how they're going to going to do those things. They also need to consider due diligence on who they're doing business with, the, the companies and the oligarchs. But this is really going to be a game of whack-a-mole. You're going to find one. It's going to disappear and pop up somewhere else, and the ownership's going to change. So it's a very difficult process to do that due diligence on your business partners. And if you don't have Russian language skills, if you don't have people on the ground in Russia who can pull business records for you, It's very challenging because some of the public websites that would have that information, the Russians are blocking or pulling down. So it's harder to perform your due diligence if you don't have boots on the ground to go pull some corporate registries or just seek out human intelligence as to what's happening. So I think that's an area that many are looking at um, that they may need to be going forward with more assistance. And then if you are going to dispose of assets in Russia, like we said, how do you do that? Are you going to get paid? Are they going to be nationalized? The government in Russia is talking about if you leave it behind, if you abandon Russia, all your stuff is ours. No one's paying you for it. It's going to be nationalized. Are you writing off your accounts receivable or are you going to seek to recover them? If you actually make a product, how are you going to service your installed base of product? Do you have warranty obligations, service obligations? If you're going to not do that, is that a breach of contract? Are you going to face litigation? So you have to think through a lot of these things. And even if you decide to pull out completely, and we've seen it in the news, we're done with Russia. We're pulling out completely. Banks are doing the same thing. Well, then the question becomes, what about the new risk you face of illicit procurement of your services or product? If Russia wants what you were giving them and you're now not going to give it to them, they are going to seek it out through alternative means. And so your due diligence on end use and end user and who all the parties are to your transactions now needs to be even heightened for that risk of illicit procurement. we have a number of professionals that we work with here at FTI who have been in the U.S. government in various roles with the FBI or the Commerce Department focused on export controls or others with OFAC and sanctions. And part of what they did in their work was identify Russian illicit procurement networks. And that's going to be needed more and more as the procurement shifts outside of Russia because people have pulled their business out. So those are some key things. And the last two I would say is cyber defense. I know we everyone talks about this, but if you pull out of Russia, you just put yourself on a target list for cyber attacks. And also, what is your public relations strategy, shareholder relations strategy, depending on whether you're staying in Russia or pulling out of Russia, you need a strategic communication strategy for your company on those things to deal with whatever fallout that will be in either direction.
0: That's an excellent point. I mean, definitely focus on due diligence and, and think about cyber, which is a nice segue for what will be the third episode in this series that's focused on the Ukraine and the recent developments. So Matt, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate your insights and thank you for your time.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, Please email finance and leadership at fticonsulting.com.